2: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the Commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan.
1: So Joey, I like dad jokes and all, but I think whoever invented the knock-knock joke should get a Nobel Prize. Oh, because there's no bell.
2: Because it's knocking. That one took me exactly one second before the gut punch of the dad joke really, really hit me. How are you so good at these, Matt? It's deeply unsettling, frankly. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach.
0: I am ready to do our fourth set review in the last fifth, five weeks, I think is where we're at.
1: <laughs> it's like four, it epi- four, four set reviews in three episodes, I thought. Yeah, that could be. Condensed. Condensed.
2: There have been a lot of products, that is no lie, but hey, this new corset does look pretty darn awesome, so we are definitely excited to get to it. Anyway, I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series, and all of our articles and more can be found at EDHREC.com, along with some awesome featured community content such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from decklists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks, and here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. We just hinted at it, but for the sake of tradition, what's our topic this week, fellas? Something, something review. Core twenty twenty <laughs> review. Yeah, come on, Matt. Where's your excitement?
1: This set looks sweet. It does look sweet, but I mean, they they all blend together. I, I saw a card and I was like, oh, that's unwrap. Nope, that's not Ravnica. That's that's well, yep. That that's that's new core set.
2: I mean, what a world that we can be complaining about all of the new cards that we've gotten. <laughs> I do hear what you're saying, though. It is a lot of products in a line. We've done a War of the Spark review, and then there's also Modern Horizons. And now before that was even completely, the ink was dry. We were already on to course at 2020. It is a whole lot of products for sure. But I mean, I am still really excited. A lot of the cards in this set look pretty darn impressive for the Commander format.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like you're going to throw sets at us back to back to back you should at least make sure they're really good sets. And for a core set, they got it figured out, I think.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, Dana, you especially, you've been vocal on things like Twitter or your other podcast, CMDR Central. You've been mentioning about just how impressed you are with this particular version of a core set. Usually, core sets feel a little ho-hum to us, uh, but this one's really, really got your eye.
0: Yeah, um, I think, like, the purpose of a core set, I, I know they they had for a lot of years tried to keep the complexity limited because it was supposed to be kind of the intro set people had to magic and i guess that makes sense if you just don't really think about it but i mean do people really only start playing magic from you know the middle of june until the end of july when this is what's being cracked i i just don't think like it's the kind of thing that players really learn on they learn by whatever beings open whatever is being opened in draft whatever people around them are playing so i think they finally kind of realized that that simple intro set didn't really serve the purpose because that's not how people work and therefore they've ratcheted up the complexity and and made it actually interesting for people who aren't new to the game that makes complete sense it definitely has caught my interest way more than you know say a m13 or m14 would have so um mission accomplished in that regard, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, it that actually does make a whole lot of sense to me. There's a lot of incentive for me to go out and get some of this product, yeah. compared to some other previous core sets where I was just like, eh, I think maybe I can take this set off. I right. can probably skip this one. So yeah, definitely a good opening impression for sure. If that gives you an idea of what our ide- our, uh, our feelings are on corset 2020, that's, uh, I think, a pretty, pretty good sign. Um, I am kind of interested, though, before we get started with the set review proper, since you know the narrative going around Magic, uh, you know, online communications and forums and things is definitely an acknowledgement that this is a whole lot of products in the row, and EDHREC is of course devoted to measuring the popularity of commanders and things like that. Um, I'm just kind of wondering if you guys think that, given the absolute you know deluge of products that we're currently swimming through, do you think that how many commanders and how many cards we've gotten recently will it all affect the popularity of the cards that we're looking at here do you think that all of the new product will lessen or increase or affect their numbers in any way
1: i think it will almost certainly Uh, i mean there's only so much time before you know something else comes in and distracts somebody Uh, we talked about it a long time ago but just the creative capital of the average player Mm -hmm. uh, you can only keep that you know the creative juices flowing a lot of people are working on limited budgets too you know you you spend so much money per set and when they have back-to-back sets like this, I mean, Modern Horizons, not to say it's not a fantastic set. Uh, I I don't don't think anybody's ever not raved about just how cool the cards are, how interesting, how powerful they are. But I mean, the the new set coming in and and with core set packs being cheaper, I think that's going to have a a significant impact on people opening Modern Horizons, drafting it, anything like that. So I think Modern Horizons commanders and just cards in general are probably going to be a little underrepresented because they're going to, probably be a little hard to find.
0: Yeah, I mean, creative capital you mentioned, but for sure the real capital thing is an issue for a lot of people as well. Right. Um, I don't think it's too many products in a year. I think it's too many products in packed into Two months. one half of the year. Yeah, for sure. Because like we go, you know, after the fall set will come out, we'll see exactly one set from, you know, October, November, December, January, February, March. There's one set in that window and versus like this four month window where we get like five different things i i feel like they, they might need to redistribute how some of this stuff functions um and just space the sets out a little bit more but i don't i, I think the amount of cards and the amount of sets in a year is probably okay i think they just need to do a better job spacing them out well don't forget i mean yeah there is a fall set but there's also
2: the commander product coming up later this year too right
0: that's what i'm saying like right because we we have This, this is going to continue. We'll we'll start getting previews for that commander product in like three weeks, and basically (laughs) as soon as that tails off, we've got the fall set coming out. And then after that, we'll have this giant void where there's one set in like a five or six month window. So I think they just need to do a better job. Like modern horizons, how phenomenal would that have been to have gotten that the first week in November? Mm-hmm. When you have then nothing happening for two months, that's right before Christmas, so like you can get packs for a gift and cards for gifts. When people are back home for you know Christmas break and, and like friends you haven't seen forever are back in town, you guys can go do a fun draft, something like that. I feel like that's a really good window for some of these sets instead of like cramming them all into April, May, June, July. So, Dana, what I'm hearing is that you
2: would like to apply for a job at Wizards for product organization. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, I can be their <laughs> scheduler. <laughs> uh but no i do i do think that it's a good thing to acknowledge is just that like you know some of the commanders and some of the new cards haven't had necessarily as much time to simmer, I guess, um, and yeah. that is even kind of measurable. Just looking at the popularity of some of these commanders now, you know, at the moment we've got uh, some commanders showing up at around two hundred and fifty decks or so. You know, low two hundreds actually. About for uh, the Modern Horizons commanders, but when we look at back at War of the Spark, which has had, of course, a lot more time to actually brew, we're up to you know nearly nine hundred. And when we look at Ravnica Allegiance, we've got you know Tesa Karlov showing at like a thousand. So you know the the you know, big glut of products could certainly affect, you know, the amount of time that these commanders get to, to really breathe. Um, so that is something to keep in mind. It could be that, you know, forces outside of the actual coolness or a power level of the commanders themselves um, are affecting the popularity of them when we measure them on this particular website. So that's just the thing that we kind of wanted to mention here at the beginning of the show is that, you know, these commanders are really cool, but they might have slightly affected uh, popularity as a result of just how many products we've gotten all in a row. With that out of the way, we should also check back in about Modern Horizons and see, you know, how our guesses were doing. We had made guesses about what the most popular commanders would be from that set. You guys had both guessed Urza, Lord High Artificer. I had guessed that Cissé, Weatherlight Captain, will be the most popular from Modern Horizons. Um, and y'all are y'all are winning, and it's embarrassing me once again, and I'm really really bad at guessing the most popular Commanders. Oh, <laughs> From high squeeze.
0: five, Matt. Joey yes. has sent us foil copies of Urza now. We absolutely absolutely have not happening. to
2: Joey once oh, again. That was a win. We made no such official bet, we just made guesses. <laughs> Don't put false words into my mouth. Uh, but yeah, Urza Lord High Artificer is showing up 246 decks right now, followed by Yawgmoth around 218, Morophon is showing up 200, then comes Ayula at 182, and sadly, Cisse Weatherlight like Captain, who loves legendary things, is only sitting at 159 decks uh, so I am a, I am a little bit sad that I was so very wrong. But again, the set's not been out for too long, so maybe Sise could be an underdog for a little while before she comes back in a phenomenal flourish later on down the line. At least I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that that's the case. I
1: would, ho- I, I don't want you to hold your breath though, Joey, because we need somebody to do show notes for us. So. <laughs> right. Yes.
0: Stay. Stay. Conscious. Stay alive.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, I shall hold my breath just <laughs> to spite
2: you. Please, please don't. Uh, Alright, okay. So yes, I, I will cede that you guys are indeed a lot better at this whole guessing the popularity of cards thing than I am. Um so with that embarrassment acknowledged, how about we get on to this set review for Corset twenty twenty?
1: Let's do it. Let's let's get into it.
2: <laughs> okay, we're gonna start off with the legendary creatures and Oh boy, there are a ton of them. I mean, there are almost as many legendary creatures in this set as there would be in a commander product line. Like, it's absolutely insane. We'll get started with Kalia, Zenith Seeker. She is three mana, costs just straight Mardu. She's a three three with flying and vigilance. And when Kalia, Zenith Seeker enters the battlefield, you look at the top six cards of your library. You can reveal an angel, a demon, and/or a dragon from among them, and put them right into your hand. And then the rest of the cards go on the bottom of your library in a random order. We've got our new Kalia. What do you guys think?
0: I think um, she's definitely I, interesting. Yeah, I, I think that you are definitely going to be permitted to play magic with Kalia in a way that you're probably not with the original Kalia. Yeah.
1: I mean, I to, think, uh, that's, uh, and,
0: and I, I'm kind that's of joking, funny. but I'm also kind of serious. Like, when you sit down with Kalia the Vast, my, usually, my usual thought is, oh, I just can't let you play magic, and we'll be fine. Um, right, because they'll one sneak I'm, into play yeah. a bunch
2: of ridiculous demons and, uh, you know, Iona to shut people off and things like right. that, yeah.
0: Whereas this one, I'm like, oh, that's not, you know you getting free angels and dragons and demons to hand isn't great, but, like, I can deal with that as it happens versus Kali the Vast. Like, if she's wearing lightning greaves, she comes down and, and you can't deal with it before the lightning greaves come on. Like, oh, that's going to be a problem. So... yeah.
2: With that said, though, we sometimes notice a trend whenever a new character gets a new card. We sometimes notice a trend about um, you know, whether those cards will eclipse the previous commander's popularity. Um, I'm thinking specifically of niv at Perun, who shot past the original niv at the Firemind. I don't think that that will be the case with Kalia, though. I think the new Kalia just isn't going to compare to the old one. Um, just because people are so attracted to the cheating value into play that the old one provides rather than um, you know possibly getting some new cards. I mean, digging six cards deep is definitely really cool. I like the uh, you know invitation that this deck has to get a nice spread of angels, demons, and dragons rather than the old Kalia who could focus on just angels or just demons if you wanted to. Um, but the power of cheating stuff into play is just so compelling that I don't think new Kalia really stands a chance popularity-wise.
1: I, I yeah. think I agree with that.
0: Yeah, the compelling comments really where you, where you're correct here, I think i i think even if her power is you know if she dug 10 deep like that would obviously be insanely powerful but also how exciting is that to play compared to the previous one where you're like i get to play a bunch of free giant beaters i, I don't know if if even based on the power it's the kind of thing that really speaks to people maybe mm-hmm. um so i think she's fine but like i just don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to tickle anyone's in anyone's brewing bone Or at least not in the way
2: that the old one did already. But if you are looking for inspiration for new Kalia, definitely consult the old Kalia's page on EDHREC. You'll find some really good goodies down there, too. And you can probably even throw in a couple of extra blink effects along with new Kalia, like Cloudshift or uh, Conjurer's Closet to get that enters the battlefield over and over again to fill up your hand and keep it full of angels and demons and dragons. So there are some new tricks available to her, but she probably won't be as popular as the old one. Let's move on to our next commander. That's Kethys, the Hidden Hand. Dana? You want to take K- this one? Because I know how much you like Legends.
0: Uh, I can. is the Hidden Hand. Obzon, three mana, white, black, green, for a legendary creature, Elf Advisor. And based on the art and the Elf Advisor um, a title, I, I feel like this is probably a card from Fiora. Um, it does
2: feel like a very conspiracy yeah. type of card, yeah.
0: Good buddies, of uh, uh, legendary, R- s- legendary spells you cast cost one less to cast, and then you may exile two legendary cards from your graveyard, and until the end of turn... Each legendary card in your graveyard gains. You may play this card from your graveyard.
2: And final note, he is also a 3-4. Three, 3-4 four. Three, four for He's three, three is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm undecided on Kethys, but what do you guys think?
0: Um, man, I, I think, I feel like whenever I see people talking about this card, I feel like they don't understand just how expensive it will be to exile two legendary cards from your graveyard to trigger that ability. You have to get them in your graveyard first and then exile them to use it, and I just feel like that's a whole lot of messing around to wind up with what might be a bad Muldrotha. Mm.
2: It does read like the type of ability that requires one big flourish rather than incremental value you know, exiling two cards from your graveyard is going to be pretty rough to maybe get back just one or two cards. With that said, I mean, you can play this card from your graveyard is the way that his text reads, so you can actually get lands back from your right. graveyard, which is also kind of nice. Um, the discount on legendary spells alone is also probably enough to make people really excited for a uh, Legendary Matters deck in these particular colors, rather than just being restricted to something like the original Captain Cisse, who was only in green and white. Now we've got access to it in black. So that is cool, but... Yeah, the exiling stuff from the graveyard, I mean, you know me, I like my graveyards. I don't like it when they get exiled, so that does kind of give a bit of a speed bump.
0: I think that's an it's an ability that you kind of ignore. You basically read Kethys as something that reduces the cost on your legendary spells, and maybe, just maybe, on turn 10, if nothing's going on, you'll exile a few things and recur a couple things. But I, I think that's where people are going to get tricked. They're going to try to build around that ability, and I think it's going to be really, really, really difficult to balance that out and make it effective.
2: All right. Matt, so I, do you I, feel I'm the not, same way?
1: I'm not as down on on it as you guys are. I think if you exile two cards from your graveyard, well, two legendary cards, granted, but um, if you get rid of two cards from your graveyard to get to recast maybe two or three cards, I think that's an okay exchange, because you're not always going to be able to exploit every single card in your graveyard sometimes there's going to be cards that you just don't want like you got maybe one effect from it or they killed it and it did its job but you don't need it the rest of the game so i think getting rid of a couple cards like that or just cards you're never going to be able to cast again because you know they're not going to resolve i mean if you have an iona in your graveyard everybody knows you're going to do something with it so getting rid of it to get something else out and a few other things i don't think that's a bad trade-off
0: yeah but like i feel like this this isn't cast where like you're going to have a vampiric tutor or a brainstorm or whatever in your graveyard and you can like do multiple things it's a legend and i think there's just not that many impactful low-cost legendary planeswalkers or creatures that you're going to be able to cast multiples in a turn like for the most part you're like well i'm going to exile two spells and i can cast this dc for five and that's going to be my turn and maybe that's not terrible but i I think it's not also going to be the kind of thing where you're going to get just bomb and bring back five thing turns like you will in a Multrotha deck sometimes.
1: I mean, I think you, you also need to remember with Dominaria, there were all the legendary spells that you can cast now too. Uh, like mm. the, the board wipe that's legendary and gets yeah. rid of all non-legendaries. I think stuff like that, like you cast it once, wipe the board, and then a couple turns later you get rid of it out of your graveyard. I think there's enough things like that or legendary artifacts. There, there's enough c- legendary card types out there. I don't think it will be as hard and like I said, I, I think if you are able to get rid of a couple just to, to get discounts on two or three other legendaries that are going to be more impactful at that time, I don't think that's the worst trade off.
2: All right, well, definitely some divided opinions on it. It does seem like kind of a hoop to jump through to get some of the value that, you know, other things like Muldroth are already doing. But, you know, Matt, I I think you've also got some really good points there. I am certainly intrigued by this commander. If I see it across the table from me, I'm going to be pretty excited to see what people are doing with it, because Legendary Matters is always pretty engaging, especially when you expand it into some other colors. So it'll definitely be a really cool development. Um, But, Matt, I know also that I can't keep you too long away from our next commander because i know just how completely excited you are about Kai'kar wins fury
1: i am very excited about Kai'kar wins fury so one in a jeskai that is a blue red and a white for a three three burb wizard uh Kaikar has flying whenever a or whenever you cast a non-creature spell create a one one spirit uh creature token with flying you can also sacrifice a spirit to add one red mana to your mana pool and this thing is sweet
2: <laughs> yeah, you've got that Shu Yun Tokens deck and Jeskai, but hey, now you can get a completely different, actual, dedicated Tokens commander for
0: those dollars. Yeah,
1: I, I can play commander that actually makes sense. It's going to be sweet.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's a really this, solid this card. I think sick. it does. Yeah, I mean, in Command Zone went over this pretty thoroughly when they spoiled it it does a lot of different things, and that's usually the kind of thing people like. I mean, there's a lot to like about Atraxa, but one of the things people love about Atraxa is you can build her a ton of different ways, and this kind of has that going on where, you know, there's some spell slinger builds and some Token builds and some Spirit stuff, and I just think there's, you'll see quite a few different variants on this Commander when all is said and done, and people tend to like that. So, yeah.
2: just as, you know, when, Looking at these commanders, obviously we want to use EDHREC as a deck-building resource. Um, you know, so if you are building the new Kalia, looking at the page for the old Kalia is a great place to start. If you're looking at Kethes, the Hidden Hand, he cares about legendary matters, so you can look through other things like Arvad the Cursed, for example, or the uh, original Captain Cisse, since they also care about legendary things. What page might you consult for a Kaikar Wins Fury deck if you're browsing around EDHREC and want to look for good recommendations for this new commander?
0: I mean it depends what direction you want to go like i think if you want to build Kaikar enchantress because that makes you a token whenever you cast an, an aura spell maybe you want to look at something like your old Miss uh Miss stalker mm-hmm. um or or you know um i guess cigar only shares one color but i think there's enough enchantresses you want to look at if you're going to do that whereas if you're looking to do a spell slinger kind of thing well maybe you're going to look at at a mellick or a mizix or a talrand i just think like you need to figure out what your plan is first, particularly for Kaikar, before you start looking for influences because they're going to be pretty divergent depending on what you want to do.
1: Yeah. Gotcha. I, I, honestly, I think Shuyun's actually a good place to start. Yeah. and uh, Because Shuyun cares about non-creature spells, but I would use the themes tab uh, just to sort through everything because there's spell slingers, there's artifacts, auras, there's all sorts of different stuff you can be doing. Um, I would, you know, use some advanced filters Maybe look at you know Shu with Perforos is what I would do uh, for my mm-hmm. my Shu or my decks specifically. That way I'm looking at you know stuff with Monastery Mentor, stuff that makes tokens, has cast triggers, because uh, that's what my Shu deck is doing, and that's what I know I want my Kai deck to be doing. So I go to advanced filters for Shu Yun and enter uh, Feather if I want to do more of a spell slinger, uh, just cast a lot of spells and, and maybe Voltron something out. Uh, That's another option that I think you should be looking at if you're trying to figure out what to do with with Kaikar.
2: Yeah, that's good advice. I think another card that I might suggest as well is not to only look at the uh, pages for commanders, but also look at, you know, the cards within the 99, Jeskai Ascendancy I think is a great place to go for this particular deck as well. If you're looking for mm-hmm. different cards that would work well with Kaikar, Jeskai Ascendancy is super built to be abused with this particular commander too. So those are some other good resources to use when first building a commander for this particular this particular deck. It looks absolutely sweet and Matt, I am excited to see what you do when you change that Shuyun deck into a Kaikar Winds Fury deck. All right, moving on to our next commander. This is Omnath, Locus of the Royal. Omnath has gone from green to green-red, and now he's in Teemer. He is one green-blue-red, red for total mana for a 3-3 elemental. When it enters the battlefield, it deals damage to any target equal to the number of elementals you control, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you put a plus-one counter on target elemental you control, and if you control eight or more lands, you draw a card. He's got a... After a couple of
0: evolutions here, what do you guys think of the new Omnath compared to his old iterations? I think he's not as good as the four-color Omnath we're going to get in two years. <laughs> I mean, that does seem to be the trend. He just keeps collecting colors as he goes. Yeah.
2: Um, I'm not sure if I like him as much as the old Omnath, but introducing blue to his color, uh, to, to his deck, is certainly pretty interesting. You get access to other things like Tatiova, for example.
0: I think he's he's... He's decent. Um, I think he also isn't kind of like Kalia, not particularly flashy in a way the previous two Omnaths maybe are. Um, of the of the six different multicolored commanders we get, it would not shock me at all to see Omnath be the one that's built the least. And I don't yeah. think I, I think that's in part because again the other two are flashier, and I think his two abilities. Um, don't necessarily lend themselves to one cohesive strategy.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, now that you mention that, I think that's actually you're hitting the nail right on the head. Having a lot of elementals doesn't seem as good as just putting a bunch of plus one counters on this Omnath and then using him as a Tatiova-ish kind of Voltronny commander since he's powering himself up so much. I mean, he's drawing you cards and then he powers himself up. That seems more straightforward than bothering with having a bunch of elementals.
1: Yeah, I like the idea of a, of a gr- base green-red, Voltron type of deck, and then you have blue just to play some counter spells and protect your Omnath while you build them up pretty pretty heftily. Um, he, I do agree with Dana, though. Both of his abilities seem pretty separate from each other, and I don't know if that's going to make him very popular.
0: Yeah, I mean, he yeah. feels like the, the kind of commander that in like three years, I'm looking back through old stuff, and I'm like, man, that Om- nobody ever built an Omnath deck. I never saw one once. Eh, maybe I'll try it. Like, I think it's that kind of commander that you'll just forget was a thing because it's just not standing out in the way some of these other ones do.
1: I I think this Omnath is going to be the exact opposite of the next commander we talk about.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely
2: true. Uh, Yeah, okay, let's get to Yarok the Desecrated.
0: Joey, why don't you read us Yarok the Desecrated? I (laughs) I feel like this is is kind of up your
2: alley. Alright, Yarak the Desecrated. Two black, green, blue, five total mana for a 3 5 with death touch and lifelink. It's an elemental horror, and it says if a permanent entering the battlefield causes a triggered ability of a permanent, you control the trigger. That ability triggers an additional time. It is a new Sultai legend doing some nasty things. What do you guys think? It's doing
1: Sultai legend things.
0: Which is like um, which is like and things, so, so but with Joey, black.
1: So Joey, here here here's a fun deck. What do you th- what do you think of playing against you know Noxious Gearhulk with Pan- Panharmonicon in play, or a Moldrifter? I, think that,
2: I, I look. I think that those are already great synergies, but I just don't like them in this. I don't know. It's it's another color pie thing for me. Yarrock actually really frustrates me. Don't get me wrong. It's an amazing card. It's just a color bend too far for me and I kind of think actually when I'm looking at the past three Soltai commanders that Wizards has made Yarok, Moldrotha, and Leopold, I think they're all kind of misses. Um, Yarok doesn't strike me as a Soltai card. It strikes me as an Esper card. Or Bont maybe. Like this doesn't have to be Soltai. You know, Kaikar feels Jeskai. Kethis feels Obzon. Omnath is unquestionably Teemer. But Yarok is it feels like it's in the wrong colors and I'm just I'm just kind of tired of Sultai being able to usurp territory from what I consider to be white slices of the color pie. Like, Leovold does the same thing as Spirit of the Labyrinth, but better, because he restricts only your opponents from drawing cards, as opposed to Spirit of the Labyrinth, which restricts everyone from drawing cards. Like, that's a white ability, but Leovold is Sultai, so it's better than a white ability. Or Moldrotha gets permanence from the graveyard, a thing that blue cannot do, but that white can do. And I just kind of think that that's weird that Sultai got the ability to return permanents from the graveyard when it actually would feel like a Obzon card, rather like Kethys. But now, Kethys looks less compelling because Muldrotha is already kind of usurping Obzon's territory there. And now there's Yarok, which doubles ETB triggers, which is not a thing that Black particularly cares about, but is a thing that White has spent a lot of time building up. White has been doing a whole bunch of flickery things to double ETB effects, and now Sultai is coming along doing it better because it also doesn't just get creature ETBs, it does any permanent that it wants. And I just, I don't know, it's just kind of frustrating. Oh, and I'm I'm gonna be clear on something right now, too. Just because Sultai has cards that have good ETB effects that Yorok can take advantage of does not mean that Sultai cares about doubling ETB effects. That's like saying that Red cares about Proliferate because it has cards with that are good with plus one plus one counters on it. Like, Sultai does graveyard stuff, it mixes spells with death, it steals, it copies, hell, it even does morph shenanigans, but it doesn't care about doubling triggers. And it's just kind of frustrating that they would give this to a Sultai card. And anyway, my rant is over. I just So, so Dana, what annoyed. do you think?
1: <laughs>
0: Dana. I think S- Sultai is to three colors what Simic is to two colors, where by and large their design plan consists of giving it something really, really powerful and then making sure they balance that powerful effect by making it really, really easy as well. It's the exact same design philosophy they have for Simic, and we see it in Sultai consistently, um, and that's what Yarek is right here. And I, I think it, it feels like a card that somebody had a Damia Sage of Stone deck, and on the design team that was also just a generic good stuff etb deck and they're like man the game has evolved and damia is too expensive so i want to make a car that i can replace damia with and we got Yarok." well i'm going to shed some positive light
1: on Yarok. i think <laughs> yes please do. i i think that we've talked a couple times about how like damia would be a good landfall type of commander and i think Yarok builds upon that and Yarok is, is a good commander for that type of strategy i think that's something we've talked about very specifically so maybe instead of Damia, we can have a yarok but looking at the deck like it you guys are correct there's a lot of just generic very good value to be had uh, i think if you look at moldrotha decks that play panharmonicon you're going to get a pretty good idea of what to expect you're going to see a lot of moldrothas and acidic slimes and those types of effects uh plague crafters but i i think it might suffer from some of the same problems that moldrotha might do but at the same time you you're going to come out ahead most of the time, anyway. So this seems like the type of value that won't be overwhelmingly durtily because if you're try- if you're removing everybody else's creatures, you're going to have more of creatures of your own to actually win the game. So I I don't hate it. I think that I think you might be able to actually win actively with with Yarok compared to other uh, Soul Tide uh, commanders.
2: I mean, yeah, Yarok is. Amazing! I don't want like my oh I have some gripes about the color pie. Oh no, Joey has opinions. What else is new? Like that's (laughs) absolutely like that's completely separate from the fact that Yaruk is an amazing amazing card. Like it goes infinite with Paolincron like right off the bat first of all. But it does the landfall synergy super well. Like if you have a Fairy Artisans in play, the thing that makes tokens whenever your opponents get non-token creatures. Let's say that you have a Fairy Artisans in play and someone plays an Eternal Witness, you get four cards back from your graveyard because Fairy Artisans will trigger twice, make two of the Tokeny versions of the Eternal Witness, each of which will then double trigger. Like Yarok's, absolutely ridiculous. The only advice that I have to give is that you need to be careful if you're playing bounce lands in your Yarok deck, because Yarok's only drawback Ooh. is that it's not a may <laughs> ability, and that will require you to return two lands to your hand. Yarok is absolutely incredible. I'm just a little salty about the Sultai doing things that I don't think Sultai should be doing, and that White should be doing instead. But that is really neither here nor there. The card is absolutely incredible, and. I mean, it, it could easily become the number one played commander from this particular set, just because of how obnoxiously powerful that ability is.
0: Well, before we talk about what is the number one played commander, we should discuss the last of these uh, multicolor commanders.
2: Yes, yeah, we have lingered far too long on Yarak the Desecrated. Let's move on now to a very positive-looking commander compared to the weird elemental horror that we've got here. Now we have an angel who hopefully will calm me down. Dana, do you want to tell us all about <laughs> Rien, Angel of Rebirth?
0: Rien, Angel of Rebirth. Two red, green, white, so in the Naya chunk of the uh, color pie. Uh, legendary creature Angel, who has flying and says other multicolored creatures you control get plus one plus oh and whenever another multicolored creature you control dies return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next end step and Rien is a five four for five mana um that's interesting i i it's it's the kind of card where i read the first time and read the the rules i was like oh oh cool that's kind of i can make a fun deck and then i thought about it ten more seconds and didn't know where to go with it from there <laughs> like you run you run multicolored creatures, and then I my, kind of my thought process stopped at that point. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after that. Is there anything for you guys that jumped out in terms of how you would build it or what you would want to do with this commander?
2: Um, it's it's actually really far out of my wheelhouse. I can't help but feel a little like I'm wholly unprepared. to to really engage with it. I I do think that the ability to return stuff to your hand whenever your multicolored creatures die, I think that is actually really engaging. It's nice to have that persistent value for sure. Um, I don't think that the buff is necessarily as relevant. Plus one, plus zero is kind of cute, but doesn't actually feel very great. Um, But it is a little weird when I compare it to some of the other things that I would usually prefer to build if I were playing Naya, like Samut or Ural. Um, This one is a little bit more eclectic, is a a little bit more out there. The Anthem ability, the plus one plus zero, the buff, sort of makes me feel like I'd want to go with tokens that are multicolored. But the actual multicolored creature dying effect doesn't really help with tokens, so getting, you know, recursive value from that would require non-token creatures. I don't know. I just feel a little confused when when I look at it. I'm not actually sure where I would want to go, but that could
0: just be me. You know, it doesn't say the word graveyard on it, so that's probably why I'm confused. I mean, if you're jonesing for an angel tribal deck and you want to stack, you know, as many multi you know, you can run Sigarda in here, you can run Aurelia in here, you can run there's no Gazella in here. Like, there's plenty of those boros angels and a couple other ones that are that are white green and so there's things you could do with that if that was your jam she would be a perfectly effective angel tribal commander recurring those big beat sticks if someone killed them um and i'm sure like you could go through scryfall and find a handful of two color creatures that have sacrifice effects they'll let you sacrifice them to do a thing destroy an artifact make stuff indestructible whatever and then recur them back and recast them um but none of those things strike me as maybe worth the amount of messing around it would require. I think she's she's interesting, but I just don't know if it's anything that's really kind of got its hooks in me.
2: Yeah. Uh, Matt, yep. any insight? Are you able to convince us that Rien is actually the best angel ever?
1: Uh, no, not really. I, I still think that goes to Sigarda. I think Rien's just a little narrow. Only counting multicolored creatures, I know that you can make it work, but only getting plus one, plus O to me, just not worth it. Uh, having the enduring ideal type of ability, putting them back into your hand at the end step, it's fine. I it's not going to make me build an Iya deck though.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I do think this is the kind of commander that I'm going to forget exists and then I'll see it across the table one day and completely forget what it's going to do. And the person who's built it has thought very, very carefully about it and knows exactly how to take advantage of all those abilities in ways that I'm just not prepared to because the only thing that Joey knows how to speak is Graveyard. Anyway, let's move <laughs> from that angel onto a new angel, Sephara, Skies Blade. She is four, white, 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 seven mana for a seven, seven angel. And she's got a really cool cost evasion ability. You can pay white and tapped four untapped creatures you control with flying rather than pay her mana cost. She's got flying and lifelink and says that other creatures you control with flying have indestructible. That is pretty weird. It's an almost Avicen, but only for your flying creatures. What do you guys think?
1: I really like Safar, actually. she. I think she would go very, very well in a Kaikar deck, just with all the flyers that you're going to be making
0: inevitably. Uh, I, I think she's actually kind of sweet. Yeah, I think if you're playing an angel deck, she has a home in there. I think as a commander, like, some people enjoy the challenge of something like mono-white. If you want to build a mono-white deck and jam a bunch of, like, things that make spirit tokens and bird tokens and stuff like that, you're going to be able to recast her really cheaply, really, really often. I think there's a legit deck there. It's not going to win, you know, against super competitive stuff, but, like, if you play in a 75% meta, I bet you can build a Sephara deck that's going to sit down and take games if you play well and you build smart. That's a 7-7 seven, yeah. seven beater, it's on a three-turn clock, and there's a lot of stuff in white that lets you cheat her out. There's a lot of anthems that, that will then buff those little small spirits and, and birds and, and things. Yeah, there's a deck there. It's, it's an intriguing card.
2: Yeah, I actually completely agree. I normally don't, you know, glance-wise glance, uh, glance wise at a mono white card, but I do think that Safar is actually pretty cool if you play her in the command zone, but also if you want to run her in a deck, I think that she'll do some pretty admirable work there, especially if you've got a, a flying commander like Kaikar that makes tokens too. I think this is a perfectly respectable card. Let's move on now to Atempsis All-Seeing. Dana, it's a Sphinx.
0: It is, Atempsis All-Seeing, three blue, blue, blue. So all of these commanders have a, a, a trip color cost of whatever color they're in, and this is no exception. Legendary Creature Sphinx. It's a 4-5 with flying. It has an ability 2 and a blue to tap to draw 2 cards, then discard a card. And then it says, whenever a All-Seeing deals damage to an opponent, you may reveal your hand. If cards with at least 6 different converted mana costs are revealed this way, that player loses the game.
2: I love this. I absolutely love this design.
0: I, it's a great design. I, I don't think this is ever going to be a thing you see as a commander. I think the real home here is in... Um, the, oh, it's, that's not Unesh. who's the um, Sphinx that, whenever a Sphinx comes into play, you do the Mini Factor Fiction. That is Unesh. Is it Unesh? It, it is Unesh. okay. Yes. Um, yeah, it, like, this will be in the Unish deck because Unish draws so many cards that basically you're going to play a Tempsis, hit somebody, and probably kill them.
2: I mean, I actually really dig a Tempsis at the helm of the deck. I think that this is a really compelling way to provide blue with direct win conditions once it's established a lot of control. Um, I actually would kind of push back about that. I mean, yes, of course, Maybe. it can go into an Unesh deck for sure, and it'll be amazing, but if someone were to run a Tempsis as like a, a weird type of almost blue Voltron or just a really controlling deck, I think that's actually going to get there a lot of the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think there's enough other things, whether it's like the the the, you know, the gods that we've got recently or the Elder Dinosaur that, I mean, the amount of work you have to do to set up that kill you can just two-shot somebody with, you know, one piece of equipment on uh, Kefnet or something. Um, if, if you really want to work on the alt-win condition with the Tempsis, then maybe that's okay. But I, I, I think we will just not see many Tempsis decks. I don't disagree it would be interesting, but I just, I, I just can't see that particular brew happening.
2: Yeah, Matt, the, what the, about the you? Would you attempt this Tempsis? Uh, stop.
1: i resemble that comment um but no i I think attempts is is cool i think it's a very interesting design like you said joey uh it 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 gives mono blue something interesting to do in mono blue colors that it's not doing otherwise it's not like urza it's just generically oh here build a generically very very powerful artifact deck Uh, attempts is definitely doing something unique whether that's powerful or not, I think there's a lot of work that has to go into it. But I think it'll be an interesting deck-building challenge that people will will look forward to.
0: And yeah, Like I said, it'll definitely, definitely show uh, up in
1: decks.
2: Yeah, it is a, a cool card, regardless of whether it's in the 99 or it's at the helm of it.
1: Well, let's get into our next card then, which I don't think is going to be a terribly interesting deck-building challenge. But Vilas Broker Blood is 5 black, black, black. That is 8 mana, triple black. For an 8-8 legendary demon with flying, you can pay a black and pay two life. Target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Also reads, whenever you lose life, you draw that many cards. So unspeakable symbol, yes,
0: please. But anything else interesting, Dana? Well, I've always kind of felt like um, necropotence was was really mediocre, and it's nice to see a card. <laughs> it's nice to see a commander that's going to make that finally be viable to play. Mm. Oh, wow
1: <laughs> that's ridiculous. I was that? like, oh no. man,
0: you know, pay a life, draw a card at the end of turn, whatever, and like, oh, I get to get two off it now, cool, so I, I you know what, they're they're doing the Lord's work there helping those <laughs> old Ice Age cards finally be playable.
2: Wow I, I, That ability is absolutely bonkers, whenever you lose life, you draw that many cards, I mean, that's something you can manipulate yourself with Villis' own ability or with, you know the, the Bolas' Citadel that's absolutely <laughs> wrecking face nowadays uh, but it's also just, if you get attacked, you'll draw a bunch of cards, that's really sweet
0: I mean, I mean at, at no point in time will you see a, a, a Vilas come into play and you'll go, huh, I'm surprised you're running that. That's just not a thing you'll ever say. You'll, you'll, you'll just go, oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it'll be in a ton of different decks. It's a really, really, really good card, and I don't have anything else to add other than it's going to be something you have to deal with immediately or you're going to lose the game.
2: Yes, but I'm not sure it's going to necessarily be a popular commander in its own right. It kind of reminds me of Razagat the Foul-Blooded, who's yeah. only showing up in about 240 decks right now. It is a really impressive card, but it looks like it's destined for the 99, especially in things like Kalia decks, for example.
0: I mean, the, f- the field among super powerful demons that are 8-drops is, is pretty crowded, if we're being honest. So, mm. no, you're right.
1: Yeah, and, and, and we need to remember, this card does not need to be pre-banned. This is just your token <laughs> token reminder that any demon that costs 7 mana or more does not need to be banned before it's released. Let's just It's
0: Grizzlebrand. It's better than Grizzlebrand.
1: Let's leave Sheldon alone. He he deals with enough of our own <laughs> gripes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, a good reminder. We do get scared when we see the abilities that are this powerful, but we can we can temper that a little bit. This is a, a certainly a cool card, but Let's actually see, you know, the impact that it's making before we make our actual decisions. Alright, our next legendary creature is Dracoseth Maw of Flames. 4 red, red, red. That's a 7 mana, 7, 7 with flying. Whenever Dracoseth Maw of Flames attacks, it deals 4 damage to any target and 3 damage to each of up to 2 other targets. Uh, guys, I'm going to go ahead and label this one as it goes into the 99 of Dragon Tribal Decks and it does not go at the helm of any 99s as a commander anytime soon. Agreed?
0: I mean, if you've always wanted to play with Gratuitous Violence as your hidden commander, this is maybe the commander to run that deck, but yeah. yes, it's going to be in dragon decks and probably almost never at the head of a deck.
1: I think it's the only legendary dragon that you want Stryonic Resonator in the 99.
0: Yeah, right, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's
2: actually really good read, but yeah, aside from that, it is a really cool card. In decks, not necessarily leading decks. Uh, so in that case, we're going to actually move on to another... Another mono-colored legend here, that's Gargos Vicious Watcher. This is a 6-mana 8-7 with Vigilance, and it gets better from there. It says that Hydra spells you cast cost 4 less to cast, and whenever a creature you control becomes the target of a spell, Gargos Vicious Watcher fights up to 1 target creature you don't control. It is a Hydra itself, it is absolutely bonkers, this thing is absolutely crazy, Hydra tribal, hail Hydra.
0: Well, and much like with, with Vilas, I've, I've always kind of wanted to have them print something that will make Berserk better. Um, so <laughs> it's nice to see them finally, like, you know, do the work to help that card out as well.
2: All creatures make Berserk better. Berserk is a good <laughs> card.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, four? Like, Hydra spells cost four less to cast. That's so good. That's so, so good. And Hydras are already good. I, I think, you know, you could argue this would be so much better if it was green-red. But then it's the obvious only choice you'd ever pick for Hydra Tribal. I think that now you, you know, you're like, well, oh, if I'm playing mono, you have to choose between mono green or something else. I think it's going to be a super cool deck. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing disgusting stuff happen with big stompy beaters in a cargo stack.
1: Is my, I got a question. Is Grothama a Hydra or just a monster beast thing? A worm, thing? I believe. Dang.
0: Yeah. Because that would have been gnarly <laughs> yep.
1: to watch. I still think that goes in Grothama, and Grothama decks probably go in Gargos.
2: I I think that this is going to be sort of like we saw with Ayula, where we had a bear tribal all of a sudden. Gargos is going to awaken a lot of deck brewing spirit in the people who have been looking for a Hydra commander for a while. This gives us an excellent... I mean, you know exactly what this deck is going to do. It's exactly what you want it to be as well. It's going to make your changelings
1: so cheap. All your changelings. (laughs) You know, that is actually
2: not nothing. Like a chameleon that only costs two mana is actually pretty deadly. So I'm kind of on board with that. All right. We've got one more legendary creature out of the field of dozens here. There are so many legend cards, it's so absolutely crazy. This one is Golos, Tireless Pilgrim. Dana, you want to take it away?
0: Golos, Tireless Pilgrim, for five mana, legendary artifact creature, Swole, Solemn Simulacrum, I think that's what the type is. Um, (laughs) When Golos, Tireless Pilgrim enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a land card and put that card onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle your library. And Goebbels has an activated ability for two Wuberg, so seven mana total. Exile the top three cards of your library, and you may play them this turn without paying their mana cost.
2: He's a 3-5, uh, Zolim Simulacrum, gets any land, not just a basic land, any land. I mean, yeah. that's pretty sweet. But we've got I mean, another five-color commander, guys.
0: Well, this is also one of those ones, like I mentioned a thing with Kalia before, if I sit down and see Golos, I, I generally am going to have to now assume, like, I can't let you do anything. Because if you cast Golos and then it wheels back around to use that ability, you're I'm probably just going to lose the game. You're you're in a deck with access to every single top of the library tutor. You're probably going to get lands when it comes into play that will fix your colors to allow you to activate that ability. Um, I mean, it's not a broken commander, but like it's one that I feel like I just can't let you do anything.
2: And is that just because you'd be afraid of, like, then abusing, I don't know, extra turn spells off the top of the deck? Yeah. I getting, like, I mean, like, the efficiency like, like kind yeah, of things?
0: it's definitely going to do it. I feel like it's, it's a Narset thing, particularly because you can go grab and set up that top of that library so, so easily with so many different spells that, yeah, you know, you're going to swing that into a, you know, expropriate first that's going to buy you two turns and then just do whatever you're going to do to win the game. It's... it's Maybe not everyone's going to build it that way, but, like, that option is going to be there much like you do see with Narset.
2: So how do you guys think it compares to other five color commanders we've seen before with really, really good abilities like Joda Archmage Eternal or Ramos Dragon Engine, which also provides us with a bunch of mana and things like that? Like, what would you guys say that it compares against those commanders? Because Joda and Ramos are both showing up at nearly 1,500 decks apiece, um, which definitely means that they're pretty popular. Where do you think Golos fits in among them? Uh, I, think I think Golos
1: is probably up there.
0: Uh, yeah I mean,
1: he he's at least as strong if not stronger uh, yeah i think i think you'll you'll he'll probably get more play than ramos but probably sneak in just under joda i think being able to pay only 7 mana to get potentially 3 spells for free um whereas joda it's just 5 per no matter what um granted you can whiff with golos i suppose um i think he'll he'll fit in right between
0: joda and ramos I, I will say this to, to make the super powerful version of this deck where you're going to want to jam every single top of the library one drop tutor uh, that's really really expensive so like I, I think you're not gonna if someone wants to build that tiered deck there's way cheaper ways to do it than a you know requiring a five color mana base and requiring people to track down things like imperial seal and you know uh worldly tutor isn't cheap anymore and Tutor. And tops. And yeah so like it's an expensive deck to get to that that super powerful level whereas like there's some pretty budget um ramos decks that are strong i think there's easier ways to do it but it can potentially if someone wants to go that route be just a, a an extra turns extra up kind of deck where if you get off one activation the game's over
2: yeah. I mean, I when I first saw it it struck me as like, oh, this is a pretty, you know, a good commander too for anyone who just wants to play an honest and good-natured fun kind of uh, you know, five-color deck, but I, there is certainly that potential, and I think you're you know keen to be on it. But also, we've got so many other you know five color commanders that can do right. a lot of similar things too. The field is pretty crowded, so I actually am not sure that Golos will see a whole bunch of play because we've already got a bunch of other examples of five color commanders. But you know, only time will tell. I have to ask now that we've gone over you know the dozen different legendary creature options that are in the set, which one do you think will become the most popular from Core twenty twenty? Kalia, Kethis, Kai'kar, Rien. Vilas, who's going to be the most popular?
1: I, I have a feeling whenever I pick cards that I know Joey hates, it does well. <laughs> so I think he, I'm going to go with Yarok just because it's, you look at it and it's the easiest to abuse.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, You know, I think that Yarok is a good choice. I'm actually personally going to guess that Kaikar wins Fury. will take it here. I think that people are kind of hungry for a Jeskai Tokens commander or a Jeskai Spellslingy kind of thing that is other than, you know, like Narset or Shuryun. I think that Kaikar opens up a lot of doors that were previously closed. So I'm hoping that Kaikar takes it. Uh, Dana,
0: what I, do you think? I agreed with Matt last time, and it worked out nicely for me. So I'm going <laughs> to swerve and agree with Joey. Ah. <laughs> I think it's going to be Kaikar too. I think that... You know, Maldrotha is a really powerful commander in those colors, and I just don't know if—I think that's going to kind of block off some space there. I think there isn't something else in Jeskai that's that's nearly so attractive, and I think Kaikar, like Atraxa before her, is really, really versatile. I think—I mean, at some point, I'm going to sit down across from somebody who's playing Wizard Tribal with Kaikar because— they're going to cast, you know, non-creature spells with that deck that are going to make spirits. And, like, you're going to see just a ton of different configurations, and I think that's appealing. Um, so I think between the, the hole in the design space there in a good Jeskai commander and the fact that it's so versatile, um, I think it's going to wind up being Kaikar.
1: You know, I uh, want to well, agree with you, Dana, but I'm, I'm sorry. Like, Joey's used to the disappointment of I, being wrong, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want you to have to experience that. I, I hear you. I'm, I'm stealing myself for it.
2: <laughs> only time will tell. By the time that we get around to the next right, set, next, we will right. look back on this 12 one. 12 days from now. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. By the time that the next product comes around, we'll have to look back at this one. But yeah, they won't have had too much time to actually, you know, the pages won't be able to mature and won't be able to breathe because we keep getting a bunch of new products. But okay. Those were, we've been like recording for what, a half hour, 40 minutes or something like that? Those were just the legendary creatures. Right. Like, we've still got regular cards to look through guys so let's get to those now there's a new cycle of cards called cavaliers each one of these is five mana with three colored symbols in their mana cost which is definitely really cool uh, just one of each mono color, so let's go on through them. we're going to start with cavalier of dawn Five mana, four, six, elemental knight in white. It's got vigilance. When it enters the battlefield, it destroys up to one target non-land permanent, and its controller makes a 3-3 three, three colorless golem artifact creature token, sort of like the new Generous gift card. Uh, and it says when it dies, you return target artifact or enchantment cards from your graveyard to your hand. I really like this. I think this is actually really solid value.
1: It's fine. <laughs> I, I don't think it's Sun Titan, obviously. Uh, being hmm. able to, to get rid of some pesky permanents, it, it's certainly powerful. Um, I would definitely... Rather have them have a 3-3 a, a three, three than, I mean, whatever they're currently beating me down with, so yeah, it's useful think, for sure.
0: I think generally speaking, these are better than the Soul of Cycle and not as good <laughs> as the uh, Titan Cycle.
2: I think that's fair. Where would you guys put Cavalier of Dawn if you were running it in a deck?
1: Huh. I mean, um, the, the, the obvious synergy is Brago, but what doesn't yeah. go well in Brago? <laughs> Yeah, I'm thinking
2: Brago, Rune, and also especially uh, the Amanatu as well. I think that this is a really nice defender for Amanatu, and being able to repeatedly destroy things and uh, turn them into golems is sort of what you'd probably want to be doing. All right, up next we've got Cavalier of Gales. This is the five mana, five, five, flying. It's in blue, Cavalier. When it enters the battlefield, you brainstorm. Draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. And when it dies, you shuffle them into your library, then scry two. Kind of a weird inclusion, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe Aminatu or something where you're going to care about having two different chances to manipulate the top of your library with it. I think this is probably the weakest of the cycle.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I think people see the, the brainstorm effect and they get tunnel vision.
2: Yeah, I mean, Brainstorm is really, really appealing when we see it. But I mean, this is maybe about as good as Riverwise Augur you know, from Ixalan. It's about doing sort of similar things. Is that also brainstormed went into the battlefield? Um, could be something that maybe, uh, you know, th- this will basically show up anywhere that Riverwise Augur did, but it will probably also maybe show up in Yanet decks because it's an odd CMC. Um, that could be a potential for it to help manipulate your deck a little bit more. But I think you're right, Dana. It is probably the weakest of the cycle. So let's move on now to Cavalier of Night.
1: Matt, you want to take this one? Sure. So two black, black, black for a four or five elemental knight with lifelink. When Cavalier of Night enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do, destroy target creature and opponent controls. Also reads when Cavalier of Night dies. Return target creature with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. The old Joseph Schultz special. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I, I do actually really like this. It took me a minute to figure out whether or not I would want to run Cavalier of Night in my, you know, classic Marin, Joey does necromancy kind of things, because I've already got abilities to things like you know Ravenous Chupacabra, it just enters and straight up kills another creature. But the fact that it can also return a tiny creature when it dies, I think is actually really nice tech too. So if you are running some recursive graveyardy things, I think this is actually a pretty decent inclusion.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think I-, I think Cavalier of Night moves the whole cycle. Probably ahead of the Gearhulks, if we're going to be honest.
0: Yeah, maybe. Really?
1: Yeah, well, because... So, the Gearhulks, like the blue one is crazy powerful, but the blue Cavalier is dog poo-poo. So, (laughs) I I think that all all the Cavaliers have something useful that they're doing. I'm not a big fan of the green one, but the black one, it's good removal. The red one is my favorite, and we'll talk about it here in a second, but... I think overall, the Cavaliers are probably more powerful than their their Gearhold companions.
0: Yeah, I would I would agree with that.
2: Huh. Yeah, Alright, I mean, I do like Noxious Gear Hulk too. That one's always on the cusp for me about whether I should put that into a Marin deck just because 6 mana is kind of a lot. But 5 is fine here. It, it does let me sacrifice a creature. And again, I'm going to phrase it that way. It lets me sacrifice a creature. Sacrificing my creatures is something I want to do. And it gets an extra, you know, little cherry on top by getting a, you know, 3-cost creature or less back to the battlefield for free when it dies. I think that there's a, a nice couple of things to abuse here. So I'm really happy with Cavalier of Night. Uh, Matt, you said you liked the red Cavalier. Let's move on to that one.
1: Yeah, I'll read that one too. Then so two red, red, red for a six-five elemental knight. Re and this one has just a, a brick wall of text. Mono red players <laughs> never read this many words on one card. Sometimes in a whole game, N- never read or can't. <laughs> y- yes, but to both. Um, so, anyways, oh, here we go. <gasps> one in a red. Creatures you control get plus one plus zero and gain haste until end of turn. Also, when Cavalier Flame enters the battlefield, discard any number of cards, then draw that many cards. Finally, when Cavalier Flame dies, it deals X damage to each opponent and each Planeswalker they control where X is the number of land cards in your graveyard.
0: That's a lot of things.
1: On, so on a 6-5 body.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: So and you I, said that
2: this one's your favorite. Is there a deck that you're angling to put it into?
1: I think this goes in so many decks. I mean, it, Like, each ability... By itself is already very powerful and probably worth putting on a card. Uh, like the end of the battlefield, you can rummage, discard any amount of cards. Like any just mono red or boros card that struggles with card advantage, that, that virtual advantage of just being able to churn to through your deck and getting that deck vo- or the card velocity, that's a great effect. That's something that we've been telling wizards like, hey, maybe let's do some different things to give red card advantage and, and find a way just to, to make their cards count so that the, they're more impactful this qualifies. Uh, You have fire breathing for your whole team and, you know, fire breathing normally is just pay one red for plus one, plus oh for whatever creature. This gives your entire team that. So if if you have, you know, three or more creatures, you're coming at a very good rate because that's basically you're paying two mana to, you know, lightning strike the opponent, essentially. And the final ability, like if you're playing any mass land destruction or even if you just play, you know, four or five fetch lands, you're going to be able to off a few planeswalkers and deal some incremental damage. Like I... I think every ability on this is very, very good. They're they're apologizing for the red soul of (laughs) Chandelar.
2: That was kind of a stinker. You know where I would love to put Cavalier of Flame? Where? That... That is the Commander Felden of the Third Path, the one who takes yeah. a dead creature from your yeah. graveyard, makes an artifact copy, and then sacrifices it at the end of the turn. You yes. can have Cavalier enter, filter out a couple of lands from your hand, and then when the token dies, it will deal damage to your opponents for all of those lands that you discarded while you replace them with new things. And it gets haste, which you can then use to you know pump up some creatures too when you put it into play as a token. I'm I, I'm really digging this. This is I a really like cool that idea. That's that's
1: that's your finest work to date, Joseph.
2: Oh. Thank you. I was both complimented and insulted. So nope. let's move on to the next Cavalier. compliment. <laughs> Dana, do you want to take this one while I hide in my shame?
0: Certainly. Cavalier of Thorns, two green, 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 so five total for an elemental knight. Cavalier of Thorns has reach and says, When Cavalier of Thorns enters the battlefield, reveal, reveal the top five cards of your library and put a land card from among them onto the battlefield and the rest into your graveyard. It also says when Cavalier of Thorns dies, you may exile it. And if you do, put another target card from your graveyard on top of your library. I don't like it. <laughs> it's I, you it's know. not bad. I mean, like, worst case scenario, you ramp a land, probably, and maybe you get lucky and get to just put that Gaius Cradle or that Nykthos straight into play. And when it dies, you get to recur something, too. I, I don't think it's bad, but, like, I don't know what deck is yelling for another version of Eternal Witness. You know, it's better than Eternal Witness, but it's also more mana. This um, is not
2: better than Eternal Witness. It puts the card on top of your deck and it has to well, die that's true. to do it. That's, it yeah. doesn't yeah. even necessarily five, get you a land.
0: It, and it does two things and it has reach. I shouldn't say it's better, but like, I, I just don't think it, you, you need another version of this necessarily.
1: I, I think you just have so many better options and like any graveyard deck, that triple green is going to be unaffordable. Like, Joe, you're never yeah. going to put this in Mimeoplasm, are you?
2: Oh, absolutely not.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, So I, I I, I, think we can just move on.
2: All right. Well, then let's do that. We've got a couple of new Planeswalkers, so let's go through some of those. First up is Ajani, Strength of the Pride. He is two-white-white form in Ajani a Planeswalker, starts with five loyalty, and has the following abilities. Plus one, you gain life equal to the number of creatures you control plus the number of Planeswalkers you control. Eh, not super exciting, but I guess it's kind of cute if you're in life game. Minus two, create a 2-2 white cat soldier creature token named Ajani's Pride Mate with whenever you gain life, put a plus one counter on Ajani's Pride Mate. That is kind of cool. He makes Ajani's Pride Mates. All right. The coolest thing here is the zero ability. If you have at least 15 life more than your starting life total, exile Ajani's Strength of the Pride and each artifact and creature your opponents control that's really cool that is a one-sided thing right there and if you are in life gain you are going to love the new ajani
0: yeah i mean like this is getting slapped into a ton of aloro decks a ton of uncle carl decks um a ton of is it is tristani the life gain um commander in slesnia matt in og yeah og 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 tristani um so yeah that that's where this home is going to be without a doubt I mean, I just, I
2: like this card. Like, even if this is only showing up in life gain decks necessarily, like, eh, that, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. I'm always on my toes now. I have to constantly be afraid of a one-sided exile-based board wipe that also hits my mana rocks.
0: I mean, you're, gonna, you're just not going to be ready for it. You're going to be sitting there playing against the Oro deck and not real and worrying about other things. And all of a sudden this comes down for four mana and you're like, oh, well, okay, I just lost all my stuff. so yeah it's it's absolutely gonna catch people off guard in those decks outside those decks i don't know if it's got a role necessarily
2: no i don't think so i think that this is dedicated life gain for sure but it does put a really interesting clock on those for sure sometimes when you see a life gain deck you're almost to the point well you know oh they're at 60 life i might as well not even bother trying to chip damage at them because i'm just gonna need to kill them with commander damage or some you know infect shenanigans instead um this kind of card incentivizes you to make sure that they don't let their life total get higher than you can yes. deal with. Yep. And I think that's really good interaction. That's really great design. All right, let's move on now to Chandra Awakened Inferno.
0: Chandra Awakened Inferno is six mana, four red, red for a legendary Planeswalker Chandra. She also has a passive ability like the ones we saw, the Planeswalkers we saw um, in Ward of the Spark. And in this case, it says, this spell can't be countered. She comes into play with six loyalty, which is pretty high. She has a plus two. It says each opponent gets an emblem with, at the beginning of your upkeep, this emblem deals one damage to you. She has a minus three, it says Chandra, Awaken, Inferno deals three damage to each non-elemental creature. And a minus X, Chandra, Awaken, Inferno deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker. And if the permanent dealt damage this way would die this turn, exile it instead.
2: That's a lot of interesting
0: design space there.
2: That is, the minus X ability feels a little... I don't know, I don't think that I'd see this used too often in EDH. Yeah. but i nope. really like the plus 2 to get a bunch of emblems that burn people.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely interesting. I think outside of that, though, do you really want to pay 6 mana to
0: get a single emblem? Because you know people are going to target you as soon as they see that. Yeah, but she's got 8 loyalty. Right, you drop her, mm-hmm. she's got 8 loyalty. So th- so it's not just necessarily that um, you're they're going to kill her but like they're going to have to devote for the most part some significant resources to killing her which are resources that aren't then being devoted to killing you i suppose like i i think in
1: very grindy like maybe some like punisher types decks i think that would be a good home for chandra i think obviously the elemental synergy but outside of that i don't know a much i don't know many decks that are going to want to make room for chandra at six mana yeah, the
2: Punisher deck is a great observation. I really love this for a Mogus God of Slaughter deck, for example.
1: Yeah, like that, that's the type of great stuff that you could be doing. Uh, stuff You know, you know they, they cast the spell and they take damage, uh, painful quandary type of effects. But other than that, like what,
0: what deck do you really want to put that in? I, I do think the real home is, like you said, in an elemental deck because you drop it, you minus three to clear the board. So, or, or at least take care of a lot of things that are a problem. And then at that point, maybe you have two or three turns to, to roll her up because you've cleaned so many things out with that minus three. Then next turn it comes back around and you can plus two her and, you know, your elementals have survived. So you're ahead of everybody else anyway. I think that's where it really shines as an elemental deck.
2: Yeah, some cool homes for it. It's a very unique design space, and I am always happy to see a, a, a Planeswalker that goes up to eight loyalty on its first turn. I think that's uh, some some really cool stuff. So we will see where it ends up. We've got one more Planeswalker that we wanted to talk about, and by we,
1: I mean Matt. I do want to talk about this one, and it's the blue one even, but uh, Mu Yang Ling, uh, Sky Dancer, one blue blue for a two loyalty Planeswalker, plus two. Until your end of turn, up to one target creature gets minus 2 oh, and minus 2, minus 0, oh, and loses flying. Minus 3, create a 4-4 blue elemental bird creature token with flying. And minus 8, you get an emblem with islands you control have tap to draw a card. Now... Matt, why
2: did you want to talk about Mu Yanling?
1: Because that ultimate is Nuts. Like,
2: you should know better than to evaluate Planeswalkers strictly based on
1: their <laughs> ultimates, but though. The but other abilities blue, just aren't very good. The other, no, I agree. The other abilities aren't very good. The fact that you drop her, and outside of any doubling season type shenanigans, you plus two, and that's all you can do. Um, but it's not like you're playing, you know, Chain Veil type stuff where it suddenly just gets out of hand. I think, at, you know, when this comes down on turn two, it's gonna live. You're gonna get a few activations out of her if you have anything else to protect her with. I I think it'll be a little more powerful than everybody's kind of giving it credit for off the bat.
2: I think that's true in something like standard. I don't know about a format like this. And you said coming down on turn 2, she costs 3 mana, good sir.
1: Okay, but how many times have you soul-ringed or done something to ramp out? I...
2: Okay. You've Okay, you've brought up the doubling season and the soul ring just to justify this okay. planeswalker. <laughs> I'm calling BS. Fine.
1: Lanor elves, Findhorn elves,
2: birds of paradise. She has Two blue, so then that requires that I have a breeding pool or some other untapped blue and green because she's got two blue mana symbols in her. That, uh-uh, Let uh-uh, me live in Christmas on. land. Let me I live in Christmas. I agree that her emblem is 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 great, but I don't think that she's great for EDH.
0: Dana, break I this, break this tie. I'm 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 not on board with the uh, Luan Wing. I don't think she's that good. Dana,
1: stop breaking this tie. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Let's look at some waylines. Yes, yeah, let's
2: do exactly that. We are getting some reprinted lines, like Leyline of Anticipation and Leyline of the Void. No one should play Leyline of the Void against me. Please don't touch my graveyards. But the new lines are also kind of cool. Dana, you want to take
0: us through them? Leyline of Combustion, two red red. And like all lines, if it's in your opening hand, you may begin the game with it on the battlefield. And it says whenever you or at least one permanent you control becomes a target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, Leyline of Combustion deals two damage to that player. That
2: feels good. kind of weak to me in EDH, but you guys are on board with it, I think.
0: I am. I am not. I, I don't think that two damage is enough to discourage people from, from targeting you, but I also don't think it's impactful enough to make a difference when it does discourage them, or it, when it doesn't discourage them. I don't think that the Punisher effect is impactful enough either to justify a slot. I can't imagine running it in Commander. I
1: think if you have a commander like Valdek who has a big target on his back, people are always trying to get him, you know, get rid of him. It's gonna add up over time. I think if you get 10 damage total out of this, I don't think it's the worst card. Uh, if you're playing any combo players, say they're, you know, you have somebody in your group that likes to play storm, this is a, it's a win condition against them because they they essentially can't target you, because uh, every time they target you, if it's gonna do enough damage to kill you. Leyline, more often than not, is going to backfire and do enough damage to kill them, too. So it's it's a must answer for some decks.
2: I suppose. I just am, I feel a bit more compelled, if that's the use case, if we're afraid of being targeted, I feel a bit more compelled to use the white uh-huh. Leyline, which I think is Leyline of Sanctity, and it completely outright stops people from doing that in the first place. So yeah, that's why this one strikes me as less Quite honestly, I this feel like... This one protects you, your
1: permanence, too, though.
0: If, if, if you just drop you. a Leyline of Combustion against me, I feel like I'm glad you wasted a swat on it. That's how much I don't like it.
1: <laughs> I think Whoa. you guys are going to be surprised. All right, maybe.
2: I I would like to be, but so far I like that we're ganging up on Matt in the last <laughs> couple
1: of cards. That's fine. That's more, uh, more room for me to gloat later. <laughs> All right, Matt, you want to take us through the last uh, new Leyline that we got? So this Leyline I am less keen on, but Leyline of Abundance, two green green, it has a Leyline clause. obviously, uh, reads whenever you tap a creature for mana t- Add an additional green to your mana pool, and then you can pay six green green to put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control.
2: I'm shocked that you don't like this one as much. It's green. You love green.
1: But it only counts your creatures to get that extra mana from, so sure, this goes in every single Rishkar Pima Renegade deck ever.
0: (laughs) Right. Or every Marwan the Nurturer deck, probably. Yeah,
1: exactly. But I, I don't know a ton of other decks that want this.
0: No, I think that's you, that's right. I think those two decks want it and nobody else does and I, I don't think it modern cares about it either. I think it's pretty no, narrow. No, not at all.
1: There there aren't enough mana dorks in modern to yeah. to care about this.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is certainly interesting design space for both of those cards. I do like seeing, I think that Elf decks could make some pretty fun use of, you know, tapping to add some extra mana. I think that's a, a really cool space for them to explore. You know, using a bunch of extra mana to pump up creatures is also really cool. You see some nasty mana generation in Elf decks, so I think that that's a nice home for it. Okay, we're going to move on to a couple of other cards that aren't in cycles like Cavaliers or Leylines and such. So let's get to them now. Matt, you put a big ol' elephant in our show notes here.
1: I did. I put a big fat butt of Loxodon life Chanter in there. It's 5 and a white for a 4-6. When Loxodon life Chanter enters the battlefield, you may have your life total become the total toughness of creatures you control. You can also pay 6 mana. Loxodon Lifechanter gets plus X plus X till end of turn, where X is your life total. I think life gain decks love this. I think Doran type of decks love this. Arcades. I think this is... It, it's not going to be super popular but the decks that want it are really going to want this
2: i'd normally be reticent to advise someone running a non-defender in an arcades deck i think arcades is usually most streamlined uh it works it functions best when the uh, defenders that it's running to replace it themselves are a really really low cost for example um but i actually do think that the light is kind of an interesting choice there uh, just because you can kind of take people by surprise i don't think folks are going to expect in a deck as aggressive as arcades that it can also completely reset its life total uh, at a whim with a card like this
1: well and and i think that that ability you can pay six mana and you know they they have to block this at all times all your opponents <laughs> right. they, they cannot let this go unblocked just because the threat of that second ability so i think the attention it's going to grab and distract you you know distract your opponents from doing other things i actually i like this card for especially for the decks that, that are going to want this and can abuse it the best.
2: Okie okay, doke, our next card is brought back. White, white for an instant. Choose up to two target permanent cards in your graveyard that were put there from the battlefield this turn and return them to the battlefield tapped. This is an interesting rare. What do you guys think of it?
0: Um, I think four mana in a lot of decks for Faith's Reward is a lot of mana to leave up. I think two is a whole different deal, even though you're not getting all your stuff back. I think it's, in some decks, it's just a haymaker when someone board wipes and you pop back your Baneslayer Angel and Lyra Dawnbringer.
2: I really like the idea of putting this under an Isochron Scepter as well to make yeah. sure that special permanents that you're trying to keep safe are always going to be safe.
1: Yeah, I it's, think it's a fine like anti-wrath tech, but I, I'm not terribly excited about it, so I, I don't know, I, I guess I'm not the best person to ask on this one. I think, I think you, you, have you have to be
0: running a deck that has some big permanents that are that are justified in bringing it back
1: that's not me
2: (laughs) yeah matt's permanents are always very expendable i do think that the comparison to face reward is pretty interesting um face reward might probably be the card that wins out but brought back is certainly a card that could catch a lot of people off guard for sure our next card is agent of treachery matt this one's blue so i'm gonna give it to you because i know
1: how much you love blue gee thanks friend uh, agent of treachery five blue blue for a two three human rogue that is a terrible rate and i don't want to talk about this card anymore but we will because there's more text uh when agent of treachery enters the battlefield gain control of target permanent at the beginning of your end step if you control three or more permits that you don't own draw three
2: cards this card's dumb that's amazing you don't give back the permanent when you lose control of agent of treachery
1: yeah i mean insert typical like dead eye navigator shenanigans But other than that, like, I I don't know. Seven mana is a lot of mana for that.
2: I don't care. I want to play this in Amanatu. I want to play it in Brago. I want to play it in Rune. I think that this is absolutely delicious.
0: I think when it works, you're going to feel like a king, and I think it's going to not work enough times that it's going to be frustrating.
1: (laughs) I I agree with that one, Dana.
2: Okay, you know what? The seven mana, maybe my eyes are a little bit bigger than my stomach. That is fair. But if people get to the point in the game where this can do work, it is yes. gonna. Yep. All right, our next one is Flood of Tears, something that Matt always, you know, causes me to, to become. I become a flood of tears every time that he speaks, me. <laughs> He beats me at bets about the most popular
0: commanders. So, Dana, while I'm crying a flood of tears, tell me about it. A flood of tears. Four blue blue for a sorcery. Return all non-land permanents to their owner's hand. And if you return four or more non-token permanents, you control this way. You may put a permanent card from your hand onto the battlefield. Omniscience. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the one you put down. Uh, this seems bonkers. I think it's, it's that, real good. I think it gets way way better if they ever ban. Uh, Cyclonic Rift. Ugh, I, th- yeah. I think right now, part of the problem with this card, which I think it's really good, but like I think if you are in other color combinations aside from mono blue, you know, you're know you like, well, I've got Rift and I have a couple board wipes. I don't know if I need this necessarily. Um, I think the biggest problem this card has is Rift exists, but it's a really I good mean, card. That, that's a high bar to compare it, it to. It is, for sure. But like, but like, there's a bunch of blue cards like that that are great but they're not Rift, and you don't know if you need two of the effect. And I think this is one of the ones being kind of held back by Rift.
1: Yeah, I think it competes with Whelming Wave just as far as if yeah. you're trying to, to bounce
0: the board. I mean, it depends on what you're putting back into play, really. And evacuation, and I, like, there's a handful of them that if you had two slots, you'd consider various combinations, but because you only have one slot because you're running a Rift, I think it, it gets tough to—it's uh, a, it's a lot of competition for that one slot. Yep. Yeah. I
2: mean, Devastation Tide is showing up in five thousand three hundred thirty-seven yep. decks right now. I think Flood of Tears is way better than Devastation Tide, so I would expect this to see play. I think that the case for Devastation for sure. Tide is there, uh, just because it does seem that it is, you know, it's got space even with the Cyclonic Rift high bar.
0: But um, you have, like have Washout. You have Washout in that slot, kind of as well, and you have Inundate in that slot, kind of as well. Like, there's just a lot of things fighting for that that spot in your deck.
2: It is, but the free permanent, that's enticing. I think this one's going to be a really popular blue card.
0: I don't think it'll be the most popular card, which I think is the next one on our list. Oh, really? I think if you are playing black, you're playing Dread Presence. Or or at least mono black, especially. Maybe two colors, but if you're playing mono black, you are jamming Dread Presence. Three and a black for a creature nightmare. Whenever a swamp enters the benefit under your control, you choose one. You draw a card and lose a life. Or it deals two damage to any target, it and you gain two life, and it's a three-three.
2: That's some of the most delicious text I've ever read.
0: Well, and kind of the beauty of it is the problem, such as it is, with these kind of effects, oftentimes is you get to that point in the game where it kills you. Like I've died to Dark Prophecy a ton of times. I've died to my own Phyrexian Arena more than once, and if you get to that point in the game, you can just choose it to have deal damage to something, like it. It has an opt-out built in if you get to that point, but for the most part, you're just going to draw a ton of cards.
2: Yeah, this isn't one of those cards where like, oh, this is good in mono-black decks. No, mono-black decks want this and will run this, and yeah. you would need a very compelling reason not to play this in mono-black. What do you guys think about it in other decks that are doing maybe a lot of landfall shenanigans and have uh, Urborg, let's say Lord Windgrace. It's a three-color deck, so they've got a very limited number of actual proper swamps, but if they've got Urborg, then everything becomes a swamp. Would you guys run it there, too, or is that a stretch too far?
1: I think it's
0: good in Yarok everything's good in Yara. ER, right? <laughs> so not... I, I, I think it depends on your <laughs> mana base. Like, you, you, you mentioned that you're not running a ton of swamps in, in Windgrace, maybe, but you probably have a couple fetch or a couple, excuse me, a couple, shock lands and maybe you have a couple duels that have swamp types or ABUR duels. I mean, like, there's probably 10 to 12 dual lands that have the subtype swamp in addition to the three or four basics and in addition to the Urborg. So even in a windgrace deck, you can probably pretty regularly be dropping swamps to draw cards as well. I don't know if I would run it there, but I don't think it's crazy.
2: Yeah. It does seem like a stretch too far for me, but I just wanted to see what you guys yeah. thought. I think that you're probably stuck with the mono black. Um, if you are doing Urborg stuff, though, it's something that should be on your radar.
0: And, and I think even in a two-color deck, if you're somebody playing a two-color deck and you have, you know, 10 basics and the four-ish lands that have the subtype and an Urborg, I think that's also something you might consider there as well. So, if you play yeah. Crypt do you play this card, is what we're saying. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think so.
2: And, and it's not even that. Like, we just need to acknowledge that is a powerful black yes. card that is yep. going to do a lot of work. It's not just like, oh, this is, you know, good for black decks. Once again, this is really dead on for black decks.
1: So, all right. Oh, okay. I was going to try to transition too.
2: nearly beat me to it all right i'll i'll let you take this one it seems like there was a uh scheming symmetry to our uh, attempt to transition
1: we were so symmetris it was symmetrical um but scheming symmetry one black for sorcery choose two target players each of them searches their library for a card then shuffles their library and puts that card on top of it so a vampiric tutor that doesn't hurt you kind of slower but you give somebody else something what do you guys think Ah, I
2: want to like this card because I do have group hug stuff but I just don't I, I, I am always nervous when it comes to cards that give benefits to people I'm nervous about cards that make me not want to play them when I'm down to one remaining opponent and scheming symmetry is exactly that I am hesitant to ever use this card when I only have one remaining player
0: I think if you're if you're milling people I think it's fine or if you have effects that can can mess the top of their library yeah um I think that I my opinion's kind of biased because I keep look, I look at it and I think well, I picked up a, quite a few demonic tutors when they were relatively cheap, and I picked up you know several vampiric tutors when they were relatively cheap. I'm like I don't need a third one, but like that's not a position most people are in. So if you're someone who doesn't have those cards, I think it's probably a reasonable replacement. But I think if you're someone who does, unless you're in that boat where like you're running nine different tutors. I, You know, if you're only running one or two as answer type spells, I think if if you have the two better ones, you run them, and this just doesn't quite make the cut.
2: I think that you can pull off some neat political tricks with this, especially I would wager that the number one uh, commander for it is going to become Queen Marchesa. That seems to be uh, one of the best political places for it. Or else perhaps Mathis Fiendseeker, since they tend to make deals and things like that. But again, I am just personally wary of cards that reduce in value as I uh, whittle down and have fewer opponents. Um, it, it, that is if something you, that I'm personally nervous about for group hug style strategies.
0: If you're somebody who like is in a shop where you guys play a lot of two-headed giant commander, it's amazing.
2: Oh yeah, Ven- two-headed giant, <laughs> this card's absolutely bonkers. Alright, let's go on now to Repeated Reverberation. Two red red for an instant. When you next cast an instant spell, cast a sorcery spell, or activate a loyalty ability this turn, copy that spell or ability twice, and you may choose new targets for the copies. Uh, This is very much along the lines of other copy effects that we've seen, except that it does have to come before the spell rather than after it, but it can also hit loyalty abilities. What do you guys think about this in terms of all of the other reverberate and fury storm kind of cards that we've got going on in red?
1: I, I think if you're already playing those, it's a fine extra copy spell, but like I'm, it, I mean, the, I think reverberate is just so much more efficient and the upside is there that I, I struggle to
0: find any decks that I would want repeated reverberation. There's a lot of competition for that particular effect. I think where it shines is if you're playing a Super Friends deck with red. I think the ability to copy that loyalty ability is super, super strong in plenty of decks but i think just as a spell cop and then you have the flexibility to also copy a spell but i think if you're just looking at it as, as primarily a spell copy effect i think there's just so much competition that it doesn't really necessarily jump out
2: the thing that I would want to play this, though, is that I would really like it if I have a Planeswalker that is red as my commander. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking of, for example, Saheeli or something like that, because you copy their loyalty ability oh, yeah. twice. That could actually do quite a lot of sure. work in ways that people are not expecting. So yeah, that makes Keep sense. your eye on that when there's a Planeswalker in the command zone. All right, our next red card is an artifact. Legendary artifact, Shandra's Regulator, one in a red. It has got some very strange text on it. Whenever you activate a loyalty ability of a Chandra Planeswalker, you may pay one mana. And if you do, you copy that ability. You can choose new targets for the copy. And you can pay one mana and tap it to, to discard a mountain card or red card and draw a card. Why are we talking about this one, guys? It seems pretty narrow.
0: In, the, in a Chandra Planeswalker deck, it's amazing. Um, however, that second ability on a two mana artifact where you can pitch a mountain or even a red card to draw a card, that's not bad in a lot of mono-red decks, or even Boros decks, maybe.
1: Yeah, I I think it's very good being able to to pitch. I mean, if you're playing mono-red, you discard a card to draw a card. That's essentially what it reads. Uh, I think just having that card quality, it's something that Boros and just red-based decks in general need. So I think it's worth giving a second look at if you're trying to find kind of that
0: Sixtieth, sixty-first card for your deck. In, in a yeah. mono-red deck, it's kind of a second copy of Tectonic Reformation.
2: I mean, that's just it. I'd so much rather have Tectonic Reformation. I don't think that I particularly like this one. But uh, Joey, why not play... both?
0: Right, exactly. Both. In, in no, mono-red, where you're so desperate for draw, maybe why not? Maybe both.
2: I'd rather run things like Endless Atlas, which is pay two mana to draw a card if you sure. have at least yep. three basic lands of the same name. Why or something not all
0: three, Joey? <laughs> because,
2: because Dana, I don't think this card's good. That's why. But whatever. Let's move on now to Glinthorn Buccaneer. Matt, you want to take this one while well, me and Dana stare daggers at each other from across the Skypey
1: internet. Yeah, from from across the planet. Uh, Glinthorn Buccaneer, one red, red for two four Minotaur pirate with haste. Whenever you discard a card, Glinthorn Buccaneer deals one damage to each opponent. You may pay one and a red discard a card to draw a card. Activate this ability only if Glinthorn Buccaneer is attacking. I think Nekusar decks have a new friend.
0: Well, if you look closely yeah. in, the, in the art, he's swinging Nekusar on a, on a whip there. He's attached <laughs> to the end of it. So um, just a nice little hidden feature there. Yeah, Nekusar's best bro for sure. Nikosar
2: and also, uh, I mean, Locust God, if you're running some Niv-Mizzet yep. wheelie stuff, you can do a lot of stuff there too. Um, but the cards the, that specifically discard cards, rather than just shuffling them back into your library or whatever, um, this is going to be a very deadly thing, for sure, that I don't think people will see coming. There are a lot of ways to abuse the you know constant wheeling effects, and this is another one, and it is a welcome addition.
1: Yep, it's pretty yeah. good.
2: All right, we're moving on to green now. We've got Elvish Reclaimer. I super love this card. 1 mana for a 1-2 Elf Warrior, it gets plus 2 plus 2 as long as there are 3 or more land cards in your graveyard, which is, you know, not nothing. I feel like in my Windgrace deck, for example, that's going to be really easy to achieve. But the cool part about this is that it lets you crop rotation at will. Pay 2 mana and tap it, sacrifice a land, and then you search a library for a land card, any land card, and put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. It is a creature that can routinely replace your lands with other cool lands. That's so cool!
1: Yeah, it's, it's very powerful. I'm definitely going to be grabbing one for Omnath.
2: I mean, Omnath, Windgrace, Titania, Getrog. I mean, people know exactly where they want this card, but it is cool nonetheless, and I love talking about it because I just want to crop rotation a bunch of times.
1: Yeah, if, if, if just any deck, really, that's playing green that wants a specific set of lands. Like, if you have the Tron lands in, in your deck, for example, with Urza's Tower and Power Plant and mine, this is a great way to go get them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess not much else to say. You know when you want specific lands, this is a great way to go and find them. All right, Season of Growth is next. Dana, you want to take this one?
0: Season of Growth, one in a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters battlefield under your control, you scry one. That's not really the interesting part, though. It also says whenever you cast a spell that targets a creature you control, draw a card. Um, You know, and I am already running Core Spirit Dancer and SRAM in an enchantress deck because they draw me a card when I cast an aura and this does the same exact thing as those two creatures, but it also has the Scry 1 attached to it. So if you're an Enchantress deck, and you want yet one more effect that draws you a card, not off every enchantment, but off your auras, which I am always looking for more of those effects, it's pretty decent.
2: Yeah, I think this one will probably go under the radar, but you're totally right. This is a great one for aura-based Voltrons.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if, I mean, if, like, if that's the thing that's important to you is drawing cards off those auras, um, It's worth having one more effect that does that, I think.
2: Absolutely. By the way, speaking of drawing cards, our next card does that in spades, and I could not be happier. So this one is Moldervine. So let me read it,
1: let me read it, let me read it. I want to read on your parade. Don't take my Kolkari card away from me. Okay, (laughs) fine. Moldervine
2: Reclamation. It is an enchantment for three black green. Whenever a creature you control dies, you gain one life and draw a card. And note, just like Season of Growth, this does not say non-token creature. Any creature, even your tokens dying, will gain you life and draw you cards. Usually I have to pay life for this kind of ability. I'm well, in love.
0: And like with uh, Necropotence and with Berserk, you know, people have been complaining <laughs> for years about how about how Gave Guru of Spores just didn't quite have enough gas to push it over oh, the top. Yeah. And it's nice to see them finally fixing Gave, so, you know, you can just draw five cards for the thing you were going to do anyway.
1: See, I, I'd prefer to have this on, like, my Midnight Reaper, and I want to lose life when I draw my cards off creatures <laughs> dying. So <laughs> That's
2: where I'm. That's what I'm saying. I'm so used to having to pay life to, to do this or lose life, but this one is just letting me gain life when I kill my creatures. I mean, Marin decks obviously are going to super love this card. Gave decks are going to love this card. I mean, frankly, I feel as though when looking at this, the question should be which green-black decks don't want to run multiplayer. Yeah, I kind of
0: feel like this is one of those cards. I'm like, how did they let this slip through? I think the only decks that don't want
1: Moldervine reclamation are the ones that are still trying to make Deadbridge Chant work in, in Commander. So let's just you know, <laughs> yeah. move on. Uh, Corpse Knight, how about that one? That's something new. That's unique. Corpse Knight is a white and a black for a 2-2 zombie knight. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life.
2: That's obnoxious. I, I really dig this. At first, I thought that it was, like, only going to count when other zombies enter the battlefield because, you know, it's a zombie night. I was like, oh, it must be only go in Verena Tribal. That's any creature. It counts any creature.
0: Yeah, it's great in Verena. It's great in a couple different variants on Tesa. Um, probably also in Gave Guru, of Spores. Uh, there's just a lot of Nexus as a sound card. <laughs> I mean, I'm almost tempted i'm not
2: quite tempted but i'm almost tempted to also put it in like an edgar markov deck just sure. because that can generate so many creatures too it's a zombie instead of a vampire so i'm not sure if i'll actually pull the trigger on that but like this is still a very impressive ability if you are able to create any number of tokens at all in
1: these colors which you know they are not actually too difficult to do nope it's pretty easy so i, I think we kind of know Tesa karlov is got a new not a new liege under her control
2: I mean, Teysa Karlov, the original Tesa. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of places for this, so definitely watch your back, because this will do a surprising amount of damage, especially in some of those aristocrat-style uh, decks that Black-White is so famous for. All right, we're moving on to some artifacts now. We've got a Bag of Holding. One-mana artifact, whenever you discard a card, you exile that card from your graveyard. You can pay two and tap it to draw a card and then discard a card, which will, of course, then be exiled from your graveyard. And... You can pay four mana and tap it, sacrifice the Bag of Holding, and return all cards exiled with it to their
0: owner's hand. I think that's pretty interesting in a Nekusar deck. Nekusar specifically? Well, any kind of deck that has a bunch of wheels. Because lets you just draw 46 cards after you wheel people, if you haven't managed to kill them, you get a bunch of stuff back that you've pitched yeah, off the I previous supp- wheels you ran. Yeah, I suppose.
1: I don't know. I, I, I think this is just a narrow trading
0: post, and I'm not terribly keen on it, but... Yeah, know. people have been more hyped on it just as a value engine than I necessarily am. I've heard people talk about, like, oh, in mono-white, I can run it as a way to draw cards. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's that amazing there. There's other things that do the same thing, um, maybe more efficiently. Like, I don't know if I pull Staff of Nin for this. It's going to cost me, mm. you know, more mana to use this once or twice and draw a few cards than I could off staff that is just going to accidentally draw me a card every turn and let me plunk a few small things as well.
2: Yeah, I'm not on board with that comparison. I think you guys are right that like using this as another one of those ways to try and glean card advantage in some colors that maybe struggle with it doesn't seem as impressive as you know some of the places where you can really abuse it. I'm thinking of the new Naheb, for example, which allows you to pitch your hand and then draw sure. new cards, and then you can use this to get all those cards back. Um, I'm not sure if Nicosar has room for it, it's more yeah, interesting, maybe not. you know, finding the rewards that let you hurt people for all of the wheels that you're doing, but it does have some really cool applications with all of the red cards that are letting you discard stuff, so I mean, I'd keep your eye on it for sure. Um, it's got some places basically, maybe I should sum it up this way when you see this card, you should know that people are trying to abuse it.
0: And you mentioned Verena for a corpse knight, I mean, Verena does mm-hmm. a lot of discarding too, this is a way to recur a lot of stuff as well, like, there's a right. bunch of corner case decks where like you're not even thinking about how often the commander discards and this is gonna let you do kind of busted stuff with those. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think definitely
0: cool. I think we're ready for the Colossus Hammer. Oh yeah. Colossus Hammer, one mana, artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus ten, plus ten and loses flying. And it has equip eight. I mean for that's eight mana. hilarious. I mean, I, I love this. The lack
2: of evasion, you can't give this thing flying after the fact. It will just no longer have flying. But, oh, who cares? Plus 10, plus 10 on an equipment like this is so cool, especially when you consider things like Balin Wandering Knight that can yeah. just auto-attach it.
0: Yeah, I mean, or, you know, there's uh, most equipment decks are running a couple different ways to auto-attach stuff as well. Um yeah, it's 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 a star in Balin, but it's it's absolutely <laughs> going to clock you in the face in, in an equipment deck at some point where it got equipped for nothing. Matt,
2: th- would you run it in your Valduk deck? It seems uh, maybe definitely pricey
0: not.
1: There. Definitely not. For for I think for that much mana, I'd rather just do Eldrazi conscription and ruin some yeah. friendships because you have no real <laughs> way to cheat it
0: onto anybody in, in right. that deck, do you? Yeah,
1: no, not not at all. I. I I think Colossus, like, it's a very funny meme card, but I think that's kind of where it is. It's just it's, it's a meme. You, you you lose flying, but you can still have aqueous form. So the flavor is just it's <laughs> right. off.
2: Yeah, I, I do think that you should keep your eye on it for specifically equipment decks based in white, therefore, as a result, because they have the free attach uh, effects like that. Um, that definitely seems like a really nice home for it. Okay, home stretch, guys. We've got a couple of lands to knock out of the park here now. Let's start with Field of the Dead, one of my new favorite lands ever. Field of the Dead enters the battlefield tapped and can tap for a colorless, and whenever it or another land enters the battlefield under your control, if you control seven or more lands with different names, you create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. Uh, it's like a Valduk, but for zombies.
0: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an it's interesting the, card. It but. is. I'm having a tough time envisioning what deck I want to run it in, but I, I think the card is, is super interesting.
2: I mean, there's already tons of decks that have plenty of lands with different names. Sure. I, Wind Grace sounds amazing. I don't think it's difficult for Gitrog either. The thing that a lot of landfall decks are, are doing is, you know, putting a bunch of them into play all at once with effects right. like Scape Shift or Sudden uh, Splendid Reclamation and things like that. So I actually don't think this is difficult to abuse at
0: all. I, I think the range of decks that have um, a ton of lands with different names, making it easy to hit but that also are doing landfall stuff. I think that's maybe kind of a narrow field. Like, there's definitely Windgrace, but, um, you know, I think of things like the Monogreen Omnath or or and Den does a lot lot of landfall stuff. I think there's a lot less um, lands with different names in that deck making it tricky to hit. I think it's just kind of a a narrow group of commanders that are going to frequently have that range of lands. But the ones that do, they get for sure.
2: Dana, you'd called it a narrow field. Do you mean a narrow
0: <laughs> field of the dead?
2: Um, uh, I, I like it. I think that land decks can actually abuse a whole lot of this, but they probably do have to do a little bit of extra work yeah. to really make it get there, but uh, when it does work, it's gonna. I yeah. really am excited to try this one out. Um, then we also have Lotus Field. Matt, you want to take this one?
1: Sure can. So Lotus Field is a land with no casting cost, no power or toughness either, but it does have That's extra... That's how lands fruit. work. Yeah. Well, usually. Sometimes your, your lands are your commanders. <laughs> Look at you, Eriksmithese. Anyways, Lotus Field has hexproof. Lotus Field enters the battlefield, tapped. When Lotus Field enters the battlefield, sacrifice two lands. And then you can also tap it to add three mana of any one color.
0: So it's very much a callback to the old. There's what? Scorch Ruins and there's Lotus Veil. Vale. Lotus Veil, vale, yeah. Right. Uh, the problem with those lands has always been someone immediately strip mines that as soon as you try to cast it. Um, <laughs> right. that, strip mine, ghost yeah.
2: quarter, tectonic edge, not, not good.
0: Uh, the hex proof gets around that at the cost of it coming into play tap. I think that's a pretty solid trade-off. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I, I don't know if outside of dedicated landfall decks, people use this unless you're using th- something like Crucible of Worlds. But then again, maybe I'm not giving enough credit to that. Do you guys think that this sees play outside of landfall decks? It is a surprisingly cool ability to tap for three mana of any color that you need.
1: I think it's useful. I think the decks that are going to play cards like Splendid Re- Reclamation or or Ram-Nap Excavator... Cards like that to get the cards back out of the graveyard, those are gonna be the ones that benefit the most from this and, and you know have any bit of use for it. I think decks that don't have any ways to interact with the graveyard without a crucible or anything like that, I don't think they're gonna want this because even then like you, you're not coming up ahead even on the next turn.
0: Right, yeah, I, I, think, to, I think it's very safe. Um, I think it's, there's not a lot of downside to it, but there's also not really any upside to it necessarily. Um, okay. Maybe if you're playing like, like, even in like a mono white deck where you're counting on those land tax kind of effects and, and sometimes you find yourself not behind somebody, um, there's a little bit of extra synergy there, but I think you do need to have a, a Crucible and a Excavator and a you know Splendid Reclamation in your deck. Like You need to have multiple things that are returning lands to play to use this.
2: Okay, that's fair. And hey, I can think of one commander that's definitely not going to run Lotus Field. Do you know which one that is?
0: I don't, but there's a bad joke coming and I just can't see it.
2: Definitely Yarok, because it would force you to sacrifice (laughs) not two lands, but four.
1: Uh, There we go. (laughs) Turns into a serves you right type of moment.
2: Exactly. All right, we've talked about an absolute butt-ton of cards here on this set review. There are just so, 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 so so many new cards for Commander, but we can't just talk about those. We've also got to challenge some stats, so let's talk about a couple of cards that we think will either see less play than they ought to or more play than they ought to. I'm going to get us started with Sorin, Imperious Bloodlord, a Planeswalker that we did not talk about. This is a 3-mana Sorin, which is cool. 2 and a black. Starts with 4 loyalty. He's got the following abilities. Plus 1, target creature you control gains death touch and life link until end of turn. And if it's a vampire, you put a plus 1 counter on it. Also another plus 1, you may sacrifice a vampire. And when you do, Sorin deals 3 damage to any target and you gain 3 life. And then minus 3, you may put a vampire creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. I don't like this new Sorin. I just straight up don't think it's very good. I think that all of the abilities are very lackluster. I don't like the idea of putting vampires onto the battlefield for free because I don't think that most of the vampires that you want to put into play for free you'll be cheating that much mana. I mean, yes, there are Butcher of Malakirs and other things like that, but for the most part, vampires are a super low-to-the-ground tribe. Just because this card says vampires on it doesn't mean that it's actually going to excel in a vampire tribal deck, so I kind of wanted to challenge this one. I don't think it's great.
0: I don't think it's great either but i kind of like it because i think it would be on theme in a vampire deck like i could see myself running it in a non-edgar vampire deck and i still agree that you're right it's not that great so i am I'm, I'm, <laughs> i mean, I, I, I mean I'm, I'm holding those two views simultaneously <laughs> Yeah if you want to have a deck that's
2: on themed then yeah you're never going to get any better than this particular guy but it just strikes me as one of those lessons like we saw yes. back with Ixalan there are a lot of cards that say a tribe's name on it and so people want to run them um, but just because it has the tribe on it doesn't mean that it's actually the best option for you and I just think that this guy might be a bit of a, a bit of a trap with vampires because I'm not sure he's doing everything that you actually need them to do but anyway that's just my challenge Matt what's yours?
1: well so you're challenging a card that you'd think should not be in vampires i'm challenging one that i think should be in vampires uh just because i think there's so much going on that people are going to forget that Knight of the even legion is a card uh it's one mana one black mana for a one two vampire knight has pay two and a black uh, knight of the even legion gets plus three plus three and gains death touch until end of turn and then at the beginning of your end step, if a player lost four or more life this turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on Knight of the Eben Legion. I think this card's just going to be overlooked in general. I, I think there's so much going on. There's so many new cards. I, granted, it's it's a little bit easier to find because it is tribal. But I just want to remind everybody, hey, this is a rare card. This is a very good card. Uh, if you're playing that aggressive Edgar Markov low-to-the-ground deck or just any low-to-the-ground uh, vampire tribal, this card's probably going to be worth a spot.
0: Yeah, Edgar Markov decks tend to run some pretty janky one-drop vampires just to have a density of one-drops, and I think this one definitely makes the cut over some of the other bad ones in that deck.
1: Yeah, I I think this is definitely not one of the janky one-drops. This is one of those that you you actively would want to have around.
2: All right, you're absolutely right that I had overlooked this card. I'd forgotten that it was a thing. I just saw a one-mana, one-two, and I was like, eh, you know. But I think that there's a case to be made for the super, super low-to-the-ground Edgar Markov decks for sure. Dana,
0: what's your challenge? My challenge of stats is a blue sorcery common for a two and a blue draw two cards. It's winged words. That's pretty terrible. However, it has the added text on it that says this spell costs one less to cast if you control a creature with flying. Um, there are currently in existence 84 different commanders in the color blue that have flying. I think there's a whole lot of times it's just going to be a 2-mana draw 2, and 2-mana two draw 2 is a really, really, really good rate. So I th- it's absolutely not a game-breaking card, but I think it's important to have those small draw spells like Knight's Whisper kind of effects in your deck um, Chart Course is one of my favorite spells from the last couple of years. It's also a, I think it's a, it an uncommon or a common. Um, uncommon, yeah. Winged Words is this year's version of, of, um, Chart Course for me, where it's that, that real small draw spell in blue that's going to be hyper-efficient in some decks and I like it a lot and it's going to be underplayed because people are just going to look at it and not really think the fact that they're running a, you know, two or three drop blue commander that also has flying.
2: Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right on this one. Uh, that is a easy thing to get in a lot of blue commander decks, and two mana draw two, that's very efficient. Uh, I think that Dana you're actually the one who uh, turned me on to the card Knight's Whisper, and now I'm running that in a whole bunch of places, because the efficiency, the speed of that for two mana, I, I really, really love it. I like uh, slimming my curve in that way, and this is a great one to do if you've got a commander that enables it, which is not difficult. Yeah. It's true. So, right. dudes... That was, I mean, every time that we finish a, pod, a podcast about <laughs> a, a, a set review, it just feels like we sort of finished off a meal or something. Yeah, that was <laughs> um, a marathon. That was, was a, a whole lot. But, I mean, despite it all, uh, even with all of the products that are coming out, I just cannot help but be excited. This set looks absolute fire.
0: I mean, we talked about a core set for, you know, closing in on two hours, depending on how the edit goes. <laughs> um, that's pretty amazing, considering some of the core sets we had, you know, three or four years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, that more than anything, that's impressive.
0: Yeah. Matt, I
1: think
2: we I, were expecting <laughs> you
1: to say words. No, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think set reviews are kind of like the uh, the Thanksgiving dinner of episodes for us. Uh, you you have to do a whole lot of work with people you don't really like. but <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh. But it comes out in the end, and you had a very nice evening. Oh, oh man. Shots have
0: been
2: fire. <laughs> Uh, Matt, I think that what you are is just prematurely salty, because this time I am going to beat you on the bet about which commander is becoming the most popular. So you
1: can't do this dance where you think it's a bet, then you pretend that it's not, (laughs) but then you act like it is a bet, so let's... Shush you, shush you completely. None none, none of this, none of this. Why don't you just get your rain of tears going,
0: like always. So to continue Matt's metaphor, this argument is the equivalent of seeing who can win the wishbone split. And and
2: Matt, for the record, the card is called Flood of Tears, not Rain of Tears. No, I mean I'm gonna blow up your lands too, so. Oh Oh, well, that's that's very, very mean. And a very obscure callback to a card that is probably 10 years old at this point. On True. this absolutely confusing note, I think we're going to <laughs> call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all?
1: Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, 55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. 55.
0: And Dana? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. And you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central.
2: And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader, that's L O A D three R. You can follow EDH and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at edhreccast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast too. This cast is posted every week on EDH community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone, to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers listeners you should let us know which cards from corset 2020 you think will become the most popular and we'll be back at you next week with more data and more insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck